0: let's stop villainizing social media and video games and hip hop music, and point the finger at ourselves, at parents, because if you're just gonna allow hip hop and music and video games to do it, well, here we are. Let's be accountable.
1: Ty Allen Jackson is an award-winning children's book author, youth motivational speaker, literacy advocate and honorary doctorate recipient.
0: When my son was eight years old, he asked me a question. He said, Dad, can we open up a lemonade stand? So he built a little lemonade stand, and he made $50 in three hours selling lemonade. But he said, Dad, I made $50. What am I gonna do with $50? So I went to my local bookstore to try to find a book to teach my son what to do with money. There were almost no books teaching kids about money. If you want the world to see a book teaching kids about money, then the person to do that is you. I submitted my manuscript to 147 different agents, and I was rejected one hundred and forty seven different times and I just went to Google and I typed in how do you self-publish a book. I've sold about 150,000 copies of this book. Did you get
1: any sense why this was rejected by 147 agents?
0: Well, I mean, all you have to do is, is-
1: The key to life, it isn't money, it's happiness. And when you measure how happy you are, you actually become even more happy. Our friends at GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, use a very specific tool to measure their happiness. It's called the Life Happiness Index and you can have it too. Go over to GoBundance.com slash LHI and take your life happiness index assessment. You'll rate yourself in multiple categories on exactly how happy you are and get a custom output for you specifically that you can use in developing whatever goals you have for your life. GoBundance is the tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. And the tool GoBundance members use at the base of all of that is the life happiness index. Get out there and grab life big. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Ty Allen Jackson, is an award-winning children's book author, youth motivational speaker, literacy advocate, and honorary doctorate recipient. He's a three-time TEDx presenter, travels around the U.S. inspiring children to read and educating adults about the impacts of illiteracy. Ty, man, I'm excited about this. Good to have you.
0: I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Let's go. Let's rock.
1: Well, we've already established pre-recording that you are a Bronx born and bred native guy, don't live there now, but let's get some backstory. So started in the Bronx, take me from there through now. Oh
0: boy. Uh, so one of the powerful things about being born and raised in the Bronx is born in 1967 from a 15 year old mom who didn't even know how she got pregnant in which a year later she got pregnant again with the second time she figured it out. If you do this, this is what happened. So that's how young and naive that she was. Uh, But we grew up uh, impoverished. My father was incarcerated for most of my life. So, so stereotypically, I probably had you know, uh, on paper, not, not the greatest startup and not the greatest uh, childhood on paper. But, but reality wise, I could not have had a more amazing childhood. My mother, despite being so young, was just such a rock star. She totally understood the power and the importance of raising two boys in this environment. She totally immersed herself in being a mom, uh, and she provided us with so much abundance of love that uh, she, to this day, is my best friend and my hero, and I, and I know I wouldn't be anything of the man that I am today without her. Uh, so between that, books, which which was just, just so, this permeated so much through our home, every room, from the bathroom, the kitchen, there were books everywhere. And like, it, and like any child, you kind of gravitate to what you're surrounded by. And so we gravitated. I, I, books were just so prominent. I started reading at a very early age and was scaling up to reading, you know, uh, of mice and men at like eight years old. You know, like I, I read a true and Capote and Dickens at eight, nine years old. Um, and then you take that background and then you, you add in that I grew up to watch the conception, birth, Growth and development of hip hop, like like right there in front of me in the box. Now you take all those things and and put them together, along with being uh, uh, the, the biggest fan of the twenty seven time New York Yankees, like you mentioned earlier. Yes, sir. and I'm telling you, you have you have such a recipe for a person who kind of grows up with a with a sense of awareness, with a uh, 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 a sixth sense of of, uh, of just uh, how to persevere and um and how not to fear much like you know like it, it's like I, i've seen things you know some 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 weird stuff and still somehow made it through um personally and then just using books as a tool to expand my mind imagination and soul and then hip-hop to give me a voice it, it really was such a beautiful recipe to develop the character person that i'm very proud to be of today so uh yeah bronze born and raised uh like I live in Fresno, California now, and as of course they say, you could take the boy out of the Bronx, but you can't take the Bronx out of the boy. We've established
1: that in the first 30 seconds. You made it sure. I say, hey, aren't you in Massachusetts? You're like, listen, I lived <laughs> in Massachusetts, That's but right. I'm from the Bronx That's right. immediately. That's right. I love it. A oh, couple yeah. things I want ta- to move to France, Paris. I would still be a boy. Still be a boy for the Bronx. A couple things I want to tap into. One, your brother, similar interest. Were books like something your mother just made sure were, were omnipresent? Is this just something you were born with this this love for ingesting this information? Or I'm curious what your brother's I don't know way of being was as well in a tough environment.
0: You know, it couldn't have been more opposite. Um, uh, he gravitated to um, sports and hanging out. And, you know, he was the kid that was playing basketball while while I was reading the books, sitting on the park bench, reading books, watching him play basketball. And, um, and again, great guy, great kid, but books didn't kind of click with him the same way they clicked with me. I don't think there was any rhyme or reason to it. Kind of just luck of the draw. But, um, my brother, albeit a a great guy, definitely took a, a different path. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, and the path that fit him, but, um, but this path of, of academia, of, of entrepreneurship and, um, and just creativity definitely was is the byproduct of, of books that were just again just really really resonant. In my, in as for me, a, in my sure. As a bookworm in
1: that environment, I'm curious. Um, how did that play for you socially?
0: What a great question. And because what books do is that it expands so much of your world. And 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 when you live within the 16 blocks of of the projects, and that's kind of like you know the the the. The urban life, you, you basically are just regimented to being within these 16 blocks. Um, books take you away from that. They give you the opportunity to be able to see the world. And because of that, I gravitated to so much my first uh, musical love of classic rock. Uh, and and now, you're going up in hip hop in the Bronx in the projects where Grandmaster Flash and Run DMC and Curtis Blow and, and, and the Treacherous Three and Cold Crush Brothers, and which I loved also. But I was also listening to Led Zeppelin, The Who, Pink Floyd, The Doors. And like when you're listening to music in, in the projects, everybody can hear it. So like I would I would be playing Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, one of the greatest beats of all time. And I'd walk outside and my friends would be like, what are you listening to? And um, for whatever reason, I wasn't one of those guys to shy away from. I very proudly said, yo, this group called Led Zeppelin, I know you're probably not familiar with them, but you got to check out this album. You got to check out. You know the doors. You got to check out uh, uh, Robert oh, Robert Plant, uh, Robert Palmer. That's a few decades later. Uh, but um, but yeah, so it it created this really proud narrative of being my own individual. That I was I was equally comfortable in the space of listening to Run DMC and also equally as comfortable as listening into the space of you know Jeff Rotel and like it, it 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 gave me a great sense of pride. It also somehow or another. Gave me the perception of being cool because I was my own person Uh, and they could have easily gone the other way of being a dork or weird or different. Right. But somehow or another, it it, it ended up being that like Ty's his own guy, like Ty doesn't need to follow the crowd. I remember also that probably about 12, 13 years old we're me and about eight other of my boys was in the basement smoking weed in the building we and they passed me the joint I had never smoked before. And I was the only one out of the 12 guys that were there that didn't smoke. And like, like I, I just like, I didn't want to do that. And I wasn't going to succumb to the peer pressure of having to do it. And so, um, so for whatever reason, I think between music, between books and between my mom, I was very fortunate to really grow up to be my own person. And, um, and I think it's a trait that I carry to this day. What did you mean when you said hip hop gave you a voice? So, you know, growing up in the projects and let's just take public school as a foundation, you know, you grow up, I'm impoverished again in the projects and predominantly every, everyone, all of my peers, all of my classmates were somewhere in that same, in that same ballpark. And so, um, you, you grow up in an environment where when you're poor, your voice, like, you don't, know, people don't pay attention to you. The schools were broken down. Nobody cared. Drugs were around. Nobody cared. Violence was around. Nobody cared. And, and no matter how many people would voice their opinions about that, nothing really very much happened. And then hip hop comes along. And here comes this, this horde of young people who find this venue to be able to express their happiness, their joys, their sorrows, their angst, their, their, their creativity so loud that the entire world is forced to hear it and all of a sudden we mattered. this this same people who were voiceless that could have no power to change in the dynamics of what was around them all of a sudden were the trendsetters they were the people when i said this you did it too when i wore this you did it too and it just created this this dichotomy of power and energy and um and yeah i'm kind of goosebumping just talking about it like hip-hop literally was the megaphone for young black America and no matter what part of the planet you were on you heard it and more importantly you embraced it and like you know so to see five six eight years after the spark of hip-hop to see people in Asia China like just in different parts of the world adopting what we started it was just like it was really powerful and to this day it's still you know I argue that hip-hop music is the dominating force in 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 culture today
1: yeah well, I, I wouldn't i would argument i wouldn't argument. disagree with that to be honest with you i think it's yeah. it's um I, I, it it's an under undertow of almost every music genre i mean there's even country artists mm-hmm. that mix 100%. with you know with rap it's 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 the it's the beat it's the drum beat of, of music right like when you think about when you think about music that thing that gets you is that bass drop that drum beat right that's what gets you on time and i feel like that's what hip-hop is in the music genre
0: not, not only that, it's, it's the epitome of cool. I mean, they're like, you know, so it's just from a social construct. It's just cool. The the way that hip hop artists dress, talk swag, like it's just, it's, it's they're outside of maybe, you know, classic rock when you see uh, images of guys like Jim Morrison or Robert Plant, like you, you look at a Jay-Z or a Kendrick Lamar or Jay Cole and you're like, these guys are just great. These guys are just cool, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, no disrespect to the ladies of of the world, whether we're talking uh, Cardi well, B or you honestly, know, it's just
1: swag permeating. Yeah, I agreed, and and that that's the I was going to ask you that my, my my brain, the question I'm formulating, what's in my mind. I wrote down a couple of thoughts on your or questions on your backstory is okay. Fifteen year old mother, so she's in her twenties when you're you know a conscious child at that point. Dad's sure. in jail, so you don't have that male role model. And there's a lot. No. There's a lot of discussion today around the importance of dad, the male role model, masculine energy, and all of that. So I guess, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I guess the question is, was dad ever present and or was there some other stand-in role model that you had as a man and or did hip-hop, which is predominantly male, especially then, did that provide you with sort of like a sea of male influences to follow?
0: Yeah. All of the above. I mean, uh, just, I mean, if you look at kids and I wasn't neglected in any capacity, but for those who are, you see, they gravitate towards the streets, the streets raise them. And so kind of hip hop raised me. And it's unfortunately a very much more positive, prominent way. Um, as opposed to today's hip hop, which you know, I can get on my soapbox and talk about, you know, how the, the, the acts of hip hop are to, to the demise of so much of our culture. But I also don't want to be the old man saying, get off my lawn either you know, like I can appreciate some of, some of today's hip hop. With that being said, uh, yes, yeah, hip hop was, was really, really important and laid down a foundation to guide me as a, as a man, especially as a black man with a public enemy and an ice cube and an NWA really kind of helped me see myself in the world and how to better navigate it, you know, as a, as a black man growing up. But, um, I, I did have a, a grandfather who was, my best friend, um, he passed away when I was 10, but from zero to 10, I, I, they're probably outside of my mom. Is it anyone else who had more influence on my life? Uh, it is so essential that children be loved by a male, like, like, like that, to have, the have of the moms are always going to be this nurturing, loving, but to have a male figure in your life to kind of guide you on how it is to be a man is so unbelievably important. And I'm very proud that I had my grandfather as that person, albeit again, he passed away when I was 10. But fortunately, it was just enough for me to get what it felt like that, uh, to, to, to have a man come home and sit you on his knee and tell you about it, uh, talk about your day and toss you a football. It just, it, it really made a huge difference. But I'll say also two very surprising role models that were really influential for me to be a dad and also an entrepreneur for that matter is George Jefferson from the Jeffersons. Yeah. Like, like seeing this black yeah. man, you know, with this attitude and this charisma and this drive and this energy, um, especially in the seventies, uh, where, where, where we're really just kind of discovering our voice and see this character larger than life, just kind of as an entrepreneur, as an unapologetic entrepreneur, and uh they moved on up to the east side to uh to uh, uh, something else in, in the sky. Yeah, yeah in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh forgive, forgive me, brothers and sisters for not remembering the complete lyrics, but uh that was really powerful for me. But also so was as a parallel was James Evans from The Father of Good Times. Like to see to see the dynamics of those two really proud, strong fathers exist. In these completely two different spaces, and the way that they led their families and/or businesses, or lack thereof, in the pizza of uh, uh, George Evans, uh, James Evans, some good times. Yeah. Uh, and for those millennials who don't know who Je- the Jeffersons are, Google it. Right, you- yeah, Google it. YouTube exists for a reason. Please, you won't you won't be disappointed. Um, those two were as James Evans and George Jefferson were are as influential as to me growing up and providing me with that level of, of role modelship from from a from a parent as as any true ones that I had. That's cool, man. I want to get into
1: this a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna pivot because you've got the Danny Dollar uh uh books, entrepreneur fair. We're gonna get into all of that and your pivot to entrepreneurship sure. or where that came from. But let's go on this again. topic of yeah, on this topic of of a strong male like you I love what you said. Children need to be loved by a man. And then you gave some good context, like the, you know, what a man is. But can you dive deeper on that? What is it about how how do I put this? Talk about your perspective, what you saw in George Jefferson. And I forget his name from good times uh, and other men in Gene your comments. life. Like, What does it yep. mean to be? What is what is a, a man's love provide? What is that? Is it discipline? Is it softer than that? Like, what is it about being loved by Because I completely agree with you. Right. I, I this this is such an important topic. And I think it's gotten lost a little bit, and you're starting to see some voices pop up, like a uh, Jordan Peterson and others, who are really championing the idea of masculinity is not toxic, right? And and being a strong yeah. man is not a toxic thing. But what is that for you? Can you define that? I know you've done a lot of work with with these children's books and everything else that you're doing, so I'm sure you have a perspective on this.
0: You know, uh, the first thing that popped in my head organically is vulnerability. You know, I I I, I think what's really important, of course, the the machismo and the persona of what it means to be a man, to be the hunter, the, to be the, you know, the provider, to be the the, the pillar of, of strength in the home. Yes, of course. I, I, I think those things are all important. But I think what's equally important is being a partner to your spouse, to being, to showing, because I think the most important aspect, and you could see it permeate so much through those two characters, is the way that they love their significant other. And I think that is such a powerful thing because the way our parents love and show each other love is how we will show the world how we love. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's really important. and something that I, I, I made sure in front of my children that I showed their mother love. As much as physical, so like as much love as I possibly could. Because I knew the way that they saw me love their mom is the way that they would love, would see and re- want to receive love in return, and so I think having that level of understanding that uh, um, that as a man you are simply a partner in the in the in the uplifting growth and development of your family, and I think if you're open and enough to realize that there really is no hierarchy, like at least for me there isn't. I'm, I, I, as, I, I, as the father, am humble enough to know that I am parallel to my significant other. I'm not above my significant other. I am, I am never at any point going to say, I'm the man, and because of that, this is the way that we do it. I'm open enough to, and hopefully wise enough to say, I'm a partner here, and us as a partnership are going to do what's best for the whole together, collectively, and work with my significant other. And I think a lot of that is is one being really self-aware about who I am and what I can do and what I can't do. And that is where vulnerability lies, to be able to say, you know what, as the man, I'm sorry, I don't know how to change a tire, but I can make a great omelet. So, you know, if, and if my significant other is all about getting her hands dirty and being able to change the tire, I'm going to get in that kitchen and make the omelet while she's changing the tire. And having that sense of vulnerability to say that I don't have to have, you know, the stereotypical Rambo type mentality to be a father and instead be more of a fluid, open, objective, loving, caring, passionate, compassionate, empathetic person. I think that those are the foundations for me personally that have made me a better father and that I've also seen in the people and the male role models that have have given me that foundation.
1: Vulnerability. I love that. Great explanation as well. Before we move on to, uh, uh, what you're doing now, uh, your entrepreneurial endeavors, I want to clean up this, uh, the the hip hop part real quick. So sure. uh, you, you, you did mention, I, I want to give you a, a spot here to talk about today's hip hop. Do you remember exhibit? Sure. Of course. I had him on the show. We actually did a live interview with him and Sam Fran and we repurposed it. Yeah, we same. stayed in touch. Amazing guy. Alvin, Alvin Joyner is his, uh, his real name. Um, He is from that era. I mean, you know, he's mid-90s, early 90s, into the early 2000s is when he was prominent. So I think about him and meeting him and, you know, just knowing his persona, this hard, you know, hardcore rapper. I remember he was on every album, it felt like. He had his own, but he was on every Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg, that Death Row uh, uh, time album. Um, And then meeting the guy and him talking about, he's an entrepreneur. He has a a, a, um, cannabis company, (laughs) ironically. But he... uh, (laughs) he talked a lot about the persona of hip hop and how it gave him an outlet and, and an ability to express and exhibit was this guy and Alvin was his other guy. And I feel like today, some of the artists that you see out there, maybe they don't have that. They don't say at least display a disconnect between the persona and the actual individual. They're kind of leaning into this persona, which I don't know might be damaging, but I don't know what your perspective is. What, what Rant. Let me hear about today's hip hop. What's your, what's your beef?
0: Yeah. I, I think you kind of bring it up. Um, and, Authenticity means everything. I think I think after a while, no matter what persona you're playing, you're exposed for who it is that you are. You know, when Tech Six Nine proposes himself as a gangster, like you can see, like that's just kind of not the case. Or when MC Hammer to bring it back, all of a sudden became this thug, like, you know, and put the the the, the hammer pants away, like like, dude, that's not who you are. What are you doing? Like that's right. that's not that's not who you are. And no matter what facet of life that you're in, when you all of a sudden, when the persona overshadows the the, the authenticity of who you are, it's it's hard to be taken seriously. And I think that's a microcosm of oh, okay, we can't take this seriously. It's it's just we we know the majority of these kids who are talking solely about drugs and sex and cars and money. You know, we 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 know just it's a paper tiger. Like you're not, you're not that rich. You don't, you don't have that much power. It's, it's all just music and celluloid. And, and, and not, and then parallel that was just the talents not there. So not only, not only is your message diluted because it's not, or not authentic because it's not who you are, but you're not even good at it. Like, so like, so like, so, so why are we taking you seriously? And the answer is we're not. So there's just a real small handful people who have exceptional talent that rise to the top whether it's a j cole or a drake or a kendrick lamar or cardi b and and the rest are these kind of revolving door artists who just come in and say a couple of things make a little bit of noise and then you don't hear from them again in two years and somebody pointed out something really great i read the other day just real simple nobody puts out great albums anymore like there, just aren't great albums. Singles, like tell that, yeah, just, they're just singles, and so these guys who come up and have a real good banger for the summer don't have a body of work either it, within their album or certainly within their tenure as a as an artist that takes them anywhere. And so, so it is refreshing when you get uh, a Cardi B or a Drake who whose albums had you know just are are, are are great bodies of work and not just these these you know, one hit wonders. So uh, so I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of today's hip hop. With that being said, I have kids in their early 20s and I never ever want to be the get off my lawn dad. Like I want to like, let's check it out. My daughter and I, whenever we travel together, we travel a lot. We have a two for two. All of it, she gets to pick two songs. Like I get to pick two songs and we just go back and forth and she's she'll play, you know, stuff from, you know, um, I can't even think of some of the artists. They little yachty and uh and Glorilla and I'll play something from you know Shalimar and from you know yeah. and and not and, and Sheik and Nile Rodgers and and then we'll just ping pong back and forth and what's p- powerful is like I've got some of her music on my playlist now just from listening to her yeah. and she has a lot of my music on our playlist she's a huge Barry White fan and the spinners and like you know and stuff that I grew up on because we had these times to share one another, expose each other's cultures of music, and we're the we're both better for it. And so, um, so yeah, I highly recommend for your listeners next time you're in your kids, especially when you've got a nice long drive, have a two for two. Like you know, you listen to t- two songs of theirs, they listen to the two songs of yours, and just keep ping ponging back and forth. I guarantee you. Will. And then give some backstory. Like she tells me like the things about this particular artist, I, like little uh little Uzi first. Um, we share the same birthday, and mm-hmm. so uh, my name is Tyrone. So my daughter calls me Little Uzi Roni, and uh, like this, which is hysterical. But I also know that this young kid who's also talented, we share a birthday together, and so like every birthday, my my daughter goes Happy birthday, Dad! And you know, Happy birthday, Little Uzi Roni, and um, and also it's a little Uzi bird. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, it. it yeah, it's very really cool. In,
1: in the context of being a dad, too, that male energy, like I, I. I think that's the important thing. So you mentioned Cardi B, Drake. They are immensely talented. And, you know, they they are incredible self-promoters and marketers, which I admire about, about anybody that has the confidence to say, hey, sure. this is me, this is how I show up to the world. Same time, their lyrics can be, you know, WAP isn't exactly the most, you know, family-friendly, <laughs> most family-friendly song in the world. But but I, I think what I'm learning with younger kids, I have two boys, eight and five, is there's the older one especially is starting to get without... I mean, it's just the world, right? He's starting to get exposure to things that don't make sense to him. Not necessarily a song like that, but that's coming, right? In the next two, three years, that's coming. Sure. And I think what I think about my childhood, I had two parents in the household. Dad worked all the time. Dad wasn't the guy to have a talk about the birds and the bees. That just wasn't him. Like I had to figure okay. that shit out on my own, right? Like he yeah. he was a strong parental figure. He showed a lot of love to my mother, which I've been able to model, everything you talked about, but he wasn't the guy to have the conversation with me. And when I look at what you're doing, the two, two and two or two by two, it's hey these lyrics could be could be jarring and if you're that yeah. that old man on the porch you might be like turn this crap off what are you crazy ah, ah, ah. and you vilify your kid for listening to something like that versus you know saying hey look that those are words this isn't a lifestyle right to to take on those are words it's interesting to talk about the artistry it's interesting to talk about the artist like why do they have these lyrics why is this a prominent song for them why is it so catchy like it is a song is catchy as hell I'm thinking of it right now <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the power of a of a strong father figure. And not that moms can't be this, but is being able to have to, to be hold space as that strong person in your kid's life and say, Yeah, I hear this and great. Let's 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 talk about it. Let's have a conversation about it, as opposed to it becoming something that permeates who they are. I don't know. That was just something that jumped out at me.
0: 100 percent Listen, I I touted, especially now as an author, uh getting out in the world and engaging with kids. parents you are their primary educator and it's not even close yeah. and uh, what you do or don't do is exactly how your child is going to navigate in the world. So if you're embodying them with self-esteem and confidence and love and discipline and structure and honor, they're going to go out in the world and regardless of what is thrown at them, they have a better chance, not a hundred percent chance, but a better chance of reflecting the woes of that, of, of our country whether they're coming from drugs, sex, or a song like WAP on and, and, and they can compartmentalize and go, yes, that's catchy. And I get it. I know what they're talking about, but my parents taught me like, to respect myself. So like, I'm not going to give my WAP out to, to, to everybody on the planet, like, <laughs> because that's not how I was raised. That's right. not who I am. But when we don't, and we fall down and we, uh, and, and we don't have the opportunities to discuss sex, drugs, the the things with our children to kind of give them this body of armor so that they can go out in the world and navigate it. When that armor is thinner, then they have a better chance of succumbing to so many of these things. So, um, so yeah, listen, it's our, our hip hop today is no different to, well, it, it is hip hop today is just kind of a byproduct of what rock and roll was in the sixties and how people were banning it and shutting it off and you can't put it down. And you know, there's no way you're listening to this, this particular artist. And you know, we all grew up. Okay. We all grew up just fine. So, you know, let's stop villainizing social media and video games and hip hop music and point the finger at ourselves at parents. And what is it that we are doing as their primary educators to empower our kids so that when they go out into the world, they're, they they know how to navigate. Listening to a song, being exposed to a drug, being pro- being pro- uh, propositioned by a, a person, they know how to navigate the world. Because if you're just going to allow hip hop and music and video games to do it, well, here we are. Yeah. And um, so let's be accountable. Agreed. That's, that that one, that's the one hundred. The primary word is a parent. The primary word is as a as an entrepreneur. The primary word is a human. Let's just be accountable for those that are, are around us, especially and included ourselves, and do a better job of uplifting and educating. Agreed. Danny Dollar, where did this where did this
1: franchise, this book, where what give me the give me the genesis of of the Danny Dollar education series, what you're trying to do with it, where it started, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. So this is also the byproduct of being open minded to uh, again, my son. When my son was eight years old, um, he asked me a question that would change my life. And he said, Dad, can we open up a lemonade stand? Now remember i'm born and raised in the bronx you don't do lemonade stands in the bronx it just kind of doesn't work that way like you know but we lived at the time in western massachusetts and everybody did lemonade stands. so me and my cute little eight-year-old son went and got a cardboard box and a pitcher of lemonade and a tablecloth little umbrellas adult little lemonade stand and he made fifty dollars in three hours selling lemonade which is like totally blew my mind i'm thinking you know we'll make five six seven bucks go get some ice cream call it a day and he said Dad, I make fifty dollars. What am I gonna do with fifty dollars? I wasn't prepared to say what to do with his fifty bucks. So I went to my local bookstore to try to find a book to teach my son, you know, what to do with money. There's can be a book teaching kids about money, teaching kids about money. And there were a few books with a young black protagonist as the cover on, on the cover that looked like my son that was positive and contemporary. There was underground Railroad, segregation and slavery and, and me and Muhammad Ali and stuff like that. But there wasn't a diary of a wimpy kid with a black kid on the cover. And so I took those two ideas and thought that maybe I could find somebody to write a children's book that teaches kids about money with a young black protagonist that looked like my son. And then I thought about the quote from Gandhi, to be the change you wish to see in the world. And if you want, to, if you want the world to see a, a book teaching kids about money with a young black protagonist, then the person to do that is you. The name Danny Dollar, writing at Barnes and Nobles in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, just popped into my head. I went home, started typing. It took me a year to write the manuscript and another year pretty much of submitting my manuscript to agents and publishers. I submitted my my manuscript to 147 different agents and I was rejected 147 different times. And after that 147, I said, this is not going to work this way. Let me find another way. And I just went to Google and I typed in, how do you publish a book? I self-published a book, and uh, it gave me amazing guides and resources for me to start my own publishing company. I named that company, Big Head Books. You can see why. And, uh, and about two and a half years after my son said, hey, dad, can we open up a lemonade stand, uh, this book was born. And it really was one of the proudest days of my life. And up to this point, I sold about 150,000 copies of this book independently. Wow. Uh, it's become a serial story in 20 newspapers across the country. It's been the uh, it's been a theatrical play with over forty performances. In no shit, where 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 was it? No th- shit, you said forty it's performances. With- forty performances in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, at the Colonial Theater. Uh, and we had forty performances of Danny Dollar um, as 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 an actual theatrical production, and uh, one of the great moments of my life. I actually got to play one of the parts, a very small part, of, but a part nonetheless. <laughs> but the look out onto the crowd of hundreds of people uh, wearing Danny Dollar shirts and holding Danny Dollar signs from a from a book that was rejected by 147 different agents gave me a sense of pride that to this day i, I, I it's it's hard to top what was wow. the feedback was there any or is it just no thank
1: you what or do you have a sense of did you get any sense why this was rejected by 147
0: agents well i mean all you'd have to do is is look and see the stats, statistics, statistics. statistics. Why am I struggling with that? I haven't had my, <laughs> my morning beverage yet. Um, that eighty percent of all children's books published today either feature a black, a white, or or an ambiguous character like an animal, like an elephant or or a giraffe. Even today, believes, Even today, okay. Even today, I think actually it's eight. I think it's seventy-eight percent today. So that the majority of books that are published aren't they don't feature children of color so uh, and when they do they're usually historical or cultural in nature so yeah. they don't speak to a wide range of uh, a, a wide audience so there so the, the publishing world is not accustomed to having contemporary books featuring children of color so that's one then there then there's the aspect of promoting financial literacy that's just not a sexy topic that's not something that maybe will push the button you know push the uh, the numbers of being able to sell, lots of uh, lots of copies and uh, and i'll tell you a quick story after this and my final point is that also i was an experienced inexperienced author like I, I, was, I was a nobody i was you know i was somebody who probably said you know one of 50 people that day who submitted a story um and so like it, it it's easy to see how it was rejected but i as i as i tout that i was not going to let 127 strangers dictate what I knew to be something that's really successful. But I want to just buy, spin off on saying something of one of the other reasons why this book probably was rejected. So I recently submitted this book to a really large um, entertainment company. Um, uh, uh, it's actually an animation studio, a pretty sizable one, certainly not going to say the name. Um, and I pitched it to them as, as an idea to run as a show. And and they love they love the idea, love the concept, especially in this culture where there's such a lack. I mean, COVID exposed so many things but our lack of entrepreneurship and financial literacy is near the top of them. Sure. And they they literally said that this project was too educational Too That's educational. They were said. said it was too educational. Interesting. That is exactly what they said. And so uh, that, I think that kind of is an, an example of, of where we are as a culture and society. Okay, and if you look cool. at today's cartoons, like yeah. you just go on, go on any Nickelodeon show, it, most of them, there are very few, Dora the explorers, or or uh, the little girls, the doctor, or, or there are a few educational programs. in like stuff. Street. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of taking a backseat to things that are just minutiae. minutia, and victims. Like, I,
1: I watch yeah. the shows my kids watch, and the phrases my kids utter from these supposedly wholesome shows are things like, uh, OMG or right, For <laughs> yeah. me, or, or what's the phrase I, I've heard recently? Anyway, but it's like these kids play the victim in these shows, these yeah. characters are victimized, wow. it seems like, and it bothers the hell out of me. But I gotta believe, like, a Coco Melon or something like that, who, who I mean, that's what they do, Blippy, and all these different educational right. uh, types of shows. I don't know. There's got to be a space for something that is black or white. It doesn't matter the 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 race of the of the main character, but
0: just financial literacy. Uh, you know, financial. first and foremost, you know, I think it's a no brainer. And for a guy on his own in in the trunk of his car to sell 150,000 copies yeah. of a book about financial literacy, I mean, I, I, if that's not a telltale sign that that there's a space here for this, yeah. then then I don't know what is. Because if I had an actual publishing company behind me to help me with this i'd easily sell a million copies of this. so uh, but i'm very fortunate that a publishing company did uh see the power of this and help me write a spin-off to that book titled make your own money which did just come out a couple of a year and a half ago that's doing really well good for you man that's amazing now so danny dollar it spun off into you have
1: an entrepreneur fair as well talk about that a little bit what what is this and what do you what do you accomplish with this
0: so with my new book, Make Your Own Money that I just showed, um, it really is, a, the, my, my first book, Danny Dollar, is, is, is story-based. And within the story, Danny's talking about finance and entrepreneurship, but it's really wrapped around a really fun and engaging story, which is why it's one of the reasons why it's successful. But my most recent book, Make Your Own Money, is really a blueprint. It's literally a step-by-step guide, how kids as early as five, six years old can make their own money. And it's, it's really the foundation of, Entrepreneurship of of how a kid can become an entrepreneur, which just casually scrolling through social media one day, I saw a science fair. We've all been privy to science fairs. We know what they are. We've participated in them, or at least aware of them. We understand the cards of them. And I just got the idea. What if we took that exact same premise and instead of kids showcasing how a volcano erupts or how a light bulb works or how fungus grows, they're showcasing their ideas for a business? And and this book is just a perfect, uh, um, foundation to teach kids how to do exactly that including at the back of the book it gives worksheets with uh, that, that that kids can demonstrate um, their their business plan their p l and 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 just things that they need to do to become an entrepreneur so I pitched it to the uh, district in which I lived at the time in Pittsfield Massachusetts and uh, last year we piloted it with a, uh, about 250 students. Uh, and it went so well that we scaled up and did all fifth graders about 400 th- no, about 450 uh, th- um, fifth grade students and participated in the first inaugural Danny Dollar Entrepreneur Fair, and to walk in this room and see 450 students standing beside their trifold with their idea for business, not the idea that was bestowed upon them. But their concept of not only just a business, but in some cases, an actual business. Some of these kids had actual businesses of of bracelets and um, and and landscaping and and art and tutoring, and to see them so proud to be able to show, hey, this is here's why. I give me their little you know two minute elevator pitch uh, of what their business is. It is. I, I, for one, guarantee you that this will be a household name in, in less than five years. And when kids have the power to know that they are accountable, the word that they, we use for for their own success and that the mindset of entrepreneurship is the foundation of that success, it is going to be such a great game changer. Because that, I think, is the essence of the entrepreneur fair. It's not that every kid is going to become an entrepreneur, no. but to establish an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. And and of of self awareness of self uh, uh, alliance is is to me the, the foundation of this product and why it's going to be really successful.
1: What do you anticipate? I mean, I, I'll be honest. I am a I'm a fairly fervent. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't love the public school system. I think there's a lot of issues with the public school school system. What's your brother? So what do you anticipate? Because I'm expecting, I'm, I, I'm guessing that, you know, the the model for you is to get this into more public schools. And in Pittsfield, it was successful. You've got a relationship there. you built, obviously, inroads there from living there. But what do you anticipate? Or maybe you already started to talk to schools. Like, what's the response you're getting from schools around this? Or what do you anticipate?
0: So um, I just uh, built a relationship. I live in Fresno, California now. I just spoke with the representatives of the uh some administrative directors from the Fresno public school system. And we are excited to launch this uh, next year in the Fresno public school system, which has hundreds of elementary schools within it. And I know that that's going to be a huge catalyst. Well, we just did it in Western Massachusetts. Four new uh, districts just signed up to take the program. I, I think the key to this program, because the, 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 the struggle with the program is that because of public schools having this, this structure of, of standardized testing and, yeah. and so many of the rigorous structural things that they have to do, um, it's kind of hard to fit in these extracurricular kind of activities. With that being said, I think every school now is being open-minded enough to know that financial literacy is really essential. And this isn't necessarily a curriculum-based program, so it's not something that I'm looking to install inside classrooms. This is kind of a almost field trip like project that they the, the educators are not doing the heavy lifting. The educators will give the kids the books. Um, they will read the books together as a classroom. But then the students go home and work on the project. So it's not necessarily a project that they'll be doing in school, although they will eventually bring it back to school. They will do this on their own. So I think that's one of the good things because these educators are worked hard enough. They don't necessarily need another program or project to kind of add on to what it is that they're doing. Um, And this also is fun. Um, And the kids really, really enjoy enjoy this work. The other part is that we we do request sponsorships because we understand that a lot of public schools are strapped for money.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Are they funding this? Are they actually allocating resource to this? So we're
0: sharing resources for this, uh, for the last entrepreneur fair, uh, guardian insurance, uh, which is a really good sized insurance company. Um, and is really committed to the betterment of its community, uh, sponsored this program. So, um, so, so we we're working our best to work with financial institutions or, uh, or community corporations to, um, to flip the bill for, for this program, especially financial institutions, because it, as, an, as these kids are developing a sense of entrepreneurship, when it is time for them to actually become entrepreneurs and they need a loan, where are they going to get that loan from? So, if they, you know, it would be really smart for a Citibank, a Key Bank, a Wells Fargo, uh, to, uh, a Chase Bank to, to support an effort like this because they are literally building future, you know, awareness for for their business with these young people.
1: I, it's, uh, I love I love that you're doing this and everything that you talk about, I mean, even from your, your early upbringing, it's sort of you're one of these innate, born with it, entrepreneurial people. Like, I'm going to live the, life the way I want to live it. I don't care what everybody else thinks. That's not, that's not normal in the best way. That's not a normal way. Like usually most of us succumb for a period of time to our social groups or to peer pressure. But I, what I love is that you're finding a way to fund this. But what makes me boil is there's so much stupid shit that's funded That this can't be, you know what I mean? Like, this is the (laughs) most crucial aspect and the tone deafness of schools to know, like, well, yeah, we hear this buzz out there about financial literacy. It sounds like a trending topic, but to not, like, holy cow, this is, it is a number one. It's not, like, there's so much crap happening in schools right now, and there's so many issues. We talk about, like, right now, there's this whole uh, trans thing. You know, again, I don't have an issue with anybody that wants to be whatever they want to be, but. I just think where this movement is jumping the shark is like going into the school system. Like that's not where it belongs. Like let that be for adults to decide what adults are going to do, but for financial literacy to not get the attention that something like that does or whatever, any activist sort of thing that's out there just blows my mind. It really does. And I'm glad that you're able to find funding from private institutions. And that's just honestly, that, that alone speaks to the issue. At a, a a corporation a company that's founded by an entrepreneur and is run by people who have had a had a through meritocracy put themselves in a position to understand what the market needs fund it the school this bubble who, i mean the noise is it's like resounding financial literacy is a major problem in our schools especially especially inner cities especially in 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 uh in areas where maybe they don't have the support of a two-parent household or whatever for this not to be funded like instantly, blows my mind. I don't. There's no question there, but I'm just. I had
0: a rant about that. It blows my mind. Well, just let's just just macro this down. Like, I'll micro this down. Why isn't financial literacy taught in school? Let's just keep it real simple. Why? Why for the most part are financially either the 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 educators that run our system are completely inept and 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 just don't necessarily see the, the, the how important this is or it's strategic and 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 that we're purposefully not promoting financial literacy because we know that this country has <laughs> I don't want to get too hard on my soapbox but but we do know yep. that it's easier to control people when they are naive and yep. they are downtrodden and we can make more money off people when they are you know lesser than than more than yeah, and yeah. so um so uh, you know i i i can cons- we can conspiracy theory this all day well it's not even that and look and the rock and- the rockefeller's established this system
1: to build employees in the industrial revolution right like this is yeah. not this is not how we've traditionally learned for thousands of years this is like a 150 year experiment like the current education system is built to make you Stand up, sit down. There's a bell. That's the authority. Listen to them. Right. Like, go get a job. And I guess, you know, at the time when factory work and and industrial type work and that sort of environment, that employee environment was essential, then, yeah, you build curriculum or you build an education system to train people to do that. But we're so far beyond that. And this just hasn't evolved with it. So, yeah, I I don't believe I really don't. I don't think there's a guy in a room somewhere like, you know, we're going to, you know, but there is a, there is a an inherent bias or maybe like a a digging in by those at the top or those that are at the you know on these school boards around what education is today and like digging further into it for for some reason and ignoring the fact that we've evolved so much as a society past why our schools are the way they are today meaning like from the the early 1900s or late 1800s when this current system was established so there's definitely a control aspect to it and and the unfortunate part is you know those that are the most impoverished suffer the most and we have race lines that are it's less about race it's more about the poverty line right like the more more people of color more people in in uh, that are minorities are in poverty so therefore that entire race gets underrepresented or under you know the the privilege is, is gone there because the the school system is is in whether they want to or not keeping people in their place i don't know that's that's what i got Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, then again, it all comes back to the parent yeah. because you like, you know, like sometimes it, it's 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 hard to fight that Goliath. It, it's it's I mean not say it's impossible, but it's really really hard to fight that that you know hundred year old Goliath who who has built this system that probably for them is working pretty well. You know, depending upon who who's actually because I do believe that
1: there are there's some people.
0: Uh, and I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I I really do think that yeah. there are. There's got to be some evil, right? Nothing stop their evil people who are just like, you know, set on keeping the poor, poor and the rich, rich. I mean, I'm sorry. Have you not been paying attention to our government as of late? Well, but, you know, uh... it's
1: funny real quick before you finish that point, because there is a, you, you're right. I, I should I should correct what I said. I think the issue is that you've got the individual that rises up where where government interest meets corporate interest meets media interest. And there's those people. I mean, whatever you want to think about him, like an Anthony Fauci, when you hear about him and I mean, he is a byproduct of being being, you know, in between this 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 corporate government media sort of interest. He benefits in all aspects. So I don't know about him. I don't know the guy or whatever, but that's the kind of individual that is in the room, right? Because they benefit from all angles of the power. And so that is the doctor evil in the room. Again, that example of a person, that one individual that understands it. how to climb up that corporate structure, because it has government, uh, you know, it's aligned with government interests, it's aligned with media interests. So now we're getting we're getting way into our tin our, our yeah, tinfoil yeah, yeah. hats here. But go ahead, I'm
0: sorry. Well, by my ending point is that it again comes back to the primary educator. It again comes back to the parent. It again comes back to how we are raising our so children. Right. That we push so them right. out into the world. Like, that's where it begins. And if we fail there, then we allow them to succumb to whatever crumbs that the, the, the our, our government, our society, our world gives them. And instead of being able to figure out how to take those crumbs and make pie out of them and start their own business. So, so um, so yeah, the, the, the foundation and to me of everything where the accountability of who we are as a society starts from home and it starts with our parents.
1: Yeah, agreed. Love the discussion, man. I think, uh, you know, inherent in being an entrepreneur, there's a level of defiance. So when you, you know, like th- there's just this sort of like, ah, I don't like how that works. And like you said, uh, I forget who you quote. It was a Gandhi. Um, hey, I got to yeah. I gotta write the book, right? Like nobody else is going to do this book. So I got to write right. the book. And it's the same thing. If we're not speaking out about stuff we're passionate about, you know, uh, with good, with good uh, 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 feelings in our heart about it, then who will? Do- I want to real quick, you have a doctorate, an honorary doctorate.
0: Tell me yeah. that story my gosh um you know I've been so fortunate in the 12 years that I've become an author to learn how to become uh, when, I, when I tout myself as an author I I, I do it kind of tongue in cheek um I'm an author but I don't consider myself a writer if that makes any sense sure uh, I consider myself a storyteller uh I, I, writing is an art that I have nowhere near and probably nowhere it never ever will perfect but I think I'm a pretty decent storyteller But when i first became an author and i started going out into the world i discovered that a lot of kids honestly just didn't like reading and so like it's like how am i going to navigate through this space and and uplift this culture of of kids if they don't even like reading in the first place and as a kid who who had books as such a tremendous catalyst for the growth of development who i am i know the power of books and what it is that they And so, like, how do I shift that culture? And so I I swayed away less from being an author and swayed more into becoming an advocate for promoting literacy. And how do you do that with children? Well, you do that with fun. You do that with joy. So I kind of shifted visiting kids talking about books into shifting and talking to kids about reading. And I like to say during my presentations, if you took Tony Robbins, Dr. Seuss, and Kevin Hart and had a love child, it would be me. So, like, like... So our my presentations are funny. We're engaging okay. pot. Yeah, like it, like within the first 45 minutes of uh first hour of my presentation, I'm not even talking about my books. We're just talking about why reading matters. And I do it within a really, really funny stand-up comedic presentation called The Five Reasons Why You Need to Read. And we are laughing, and it's the most fun that you kids are, are having. Literally years after I visited a school, kids are still reaching out to me about how memorable that I was. And doing that, aligning with doing three TED Talks about illiteracy and how it's impacted our society, and especially, as you mentioned, g- communities that are disenfranchised, um, has been uh, and working on a program uh, called The Full Program, which stands for Families United Through the Love of Literacy to help incarcerated parents use books as a tool to engage with their children despite the fact that they're incarcerated. So we, me and my one of my uh my business partners named eddie taylor we videotape kids reading uh my picture book titled when i close my eyes we record them we pack. we used to pack it up in a dvd now we send it to a youtube link and we send it to their children along with the copy of the book so the children can now press this link and watch their mom or dad read them a story and um and it really really it is such a game changer for kids to see their parents amazing home. And, um, and really just like excited the parents give an opportunity to have a, a message to them about, you know, redemption, about, you know, grief, about just happy to do this for them. It's really a great, powerful program. So fortunately there are uh, the, uh, Massachusetts college of liberal arts saw this a couple of years ago, reached out to me and, and graced me with an honorary doctorate to my body of work in, in empowering young people. And. Um, and then you'll also see, I've got this hoodie, I don't read her else. and with, with, uh, with each purchase, we send a book to a child in a homeless shelf. So, um, or, or a title one school. So you take that body of work, you know, that goes from a guy with an idea to teach kids to write a, a book about money. How is it as an entrepreneur, can I grow this and scale this so that this book is more than just a book? Like this book is is a mission. It's 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 or well, these books are a mission to be able to empower people, well, I was gonna say our young people, but really children of all ages, to uh, to be better versions of themselves. And so whether it's Reader Else, the full program, uh the the books, um my presentations, Danny Dollar Academy, which we didn't even talk about, Danny Dollar Entrepreneur Fair, these are all just branches off the tree of 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 my body of work that was visible enough that the school honored me with the doctorate. Tell me about which school was it uh, that honored you with the doctorate? So this is MCLA, which uh, I think five years ago, Newsweek said number one college uh, 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 college in the country. So uh, Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts located in Western Massachusetts, I can't remember. Somewhere in
1: Western Massachusetts.
0: Yeah. Talk about Danny Dollar Academy. What is the academy? So uh, uh, about eight years ago, an economics professor from Northern Kentucky University got a hold of my first book, Danny Dollar, and he had been looking for a book or or a way to empower the young people of his disenfranchised community about finance and entrepreneurship. And he, he reached out to me and said he would like to build a program titled Danny Dollar Academy. So Danny Dollar Academy is a about four week long curriculum based program in which kids read the book and they go through a two week long curriculum about finance, entrepreneurship, you know, uh, and and just, it's really diving into the world of those two things. And at the end of the program, these students, usually all fifth graders in an elementary school will create their own business. And with that business, they, one school sold $1,500 worth of, of painted rocks, uh, with messages on them. Another school made $1,200 in profit from selling lemonade and, and popcorn. And with this money, they can do whatever they want. They can, they can go on a class trip, they can have a pizza party, but almost every school has given it back to their local humane society or nonprofit in their community as a sense of philanthropy. So these kids are not just learning finance and entrepreneurship, they're also developing uh, a, a, a skills to give back to their community. This program was, is, was recently taken over and adopted by the Federal Reserve of Cleveland. So now the Federal Reserve of Cleveland is now running Danny Dollar Academy. I think up to this point, about 20,000 students have gone to Danny Dollar Academy. And uh, the end result of when these kids, uh, after the kids do their business, they get to come to the Federal Reserve, uh, about four or 500 kids at a pop, and they get to meet the author and, um, and they get to showcase their ideas for business. And that is Danny Dollar Academy.
1: You're a force to be reckoned with, my friend. That is unbelievable. (laughs) I mean it. That's all awesome. One last thing before we wrap here. What were you doing before you became an author?
0: So I work for Allied Waste, which I think is now Republic Services. Allied Waste, if you go to your business or school, there's a big dumpster in the back where they put all the garbage and cardboard. My job was to sell schools, organizations, businesses, these dumpsters. So I was a trash can salesman, for lack of a better word. And uh, But we sell these really large dumpsters, and I was a sales rep for them. And it was a good job. I I enjoyed my time working with them, but it was a job. It, it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't my purpose. But when my, my son said, hey, Dad, can we open up a lemonade stand? Uh, that was the universe offering me my purpose and saying, if you pay attention to this and you make this what it can be, this can be the reason that you're here. And Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life. On the day you were born, and the day you find out why, and when when I became an author, I knew why I was here, and um, and uh, so yeah, so yeah, I told uh, I I was I was a sales rep for uh, Allied. Waves. Wow. What, when did you end up
1: leaving? Uh, like in context of the book, was it was it oh. what, right after it was published? Like I'm kind of, I'm always curious about the quit story because I have my own yep. right the quit story. Like yep. were you just like oh yeah I I made so much money that I just stepped over into this incredible. Oh, well. So usually that's the story. That's the story is like, no, it was a, it was a
0: leap. Talk about the leap. So, um, when my son, when my book came out, it came out in, um, it came out December of 2011 and okay. So real quick. So when you're an indie author, bookstores want nothing to do. They want nothing to do with it. So when I started going to bookstores and discovered that nobody, you know, they didn't want to carry my book, I'm like, how the heck am I going to figure out how to sell my book if I can't get them in bookstores? That's I asked myself a real simple question. Where are kids? Where are the kids that I want to put these books into the hands of? Are they in Target and Walmart or in Barnes & Noble? No, they're in schools. So I would go directly to schools and organizations and just start knocking on their door. And in two months, I sold 2,000 copies. Like like 2,000 copies. Like I sold a 1,000 copies a month. For two months, uh, just banging on doors. The second month I reached out to Carver Bank in New York City. They're the largest black owned bank in the country. I sent the copy to the CEO and two weeks later, she sent me a letter say, or called me and said, I'd love this book. Would you come to Harlem and talk to the children of our community about financial and entrepreneurship? And can I buy a thousand copies? To get out these kids? Amazing. But That was two months after, after the book came out, but three months after the book came out. When I got that phone call, I, I called my boss and I said I quit. I'm out. guy. Like I, like I knew if I could sell three thousand copies in less than three months, part time, like I can. I I like I know I can change the world. And um and and with like no idea what the hell I was doing, I could argue I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh but um, but with just tremendous resolve, and I just took the Jason Betley. I would just take books and throw them in the trunk of my car, like it would be instead of a mixtape, it would be books. And I just would pound it on doors. And a few, you know, this financial institution would take 100 copies. This school would take 200 copies and and just grind it. And I, I, most of my books are not in stores. Out of the almost 200,000 copies of my books that I've sold, are well over 200,000 copies, I just go directly to the schools. And um, because, you know, as is what's the old saying, uh, why do people rob banks? That's where the money is. So I go directly to where the kids are, internal schools, and that's how I've been able to be successful.
1: Amazing, man. Amazing. Well, where can people find the book? Learn more about you. Where can uh, where can we get more of of Ty?
0: Well, uh, you just said it. You can get everything from the hoodies to the missions to the books itself at Tyallenjackson.com. I am not hard to find. You can certainly find me on every social media platform that you can imagine. Instagram is probably my biggest hole. I think that's where we found each other. We did. And um and but Ty Allen Jackson, uh, because I'm still somewhat of an indie author, uh, most of my books are are sold directly through my website, and um, and that's how you can learn more about me.
1: I love it, man. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for jumping in, and uh, man, I, I've got I've got some thoughts after we're done recording. So I appreciate you, brother. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you. What an amazing platform and interview. I appreciate all the.